The Ringer NBA show is presented by State Farm. Just like basketball, the game of life is unpredictable. Talk to a State Farm agent and get a teammate who could help you navigate the unexpected and help you handle whatever life throws your way. We got an unpredictable outcome Monday night, Isaac, when Carmelo Anthony had a throwback performance, 25 points. The headline on ESPN says a vintage Carmelo Anthony performance. I'm not really sure what that means these days anymore, (laughs) but it was good to see Melo get back into the flow of things. Of course, it came against the Chicago Bulls, and that seems like that happens a lot these days. But get a teammate who can help you navigate the unexpected. Talk to a State Farm agent today about combining your home and auto insurance. Today's show is also brought to you by Brilliant Earth. Create your own one-of-a-kind engagement ring with Brilliant Earth, the global leader in ethically sourced fine jewelry. Brilliant Earth's exclusive, unique designs are brought to life by master jewelers, and they offer free shipping and returns on all orders. Order today for your delivery for Christmas and receive a surprise gift with the purchase of an engagement ring. To see terms for this special offer and to shop all of Brilliant Earth's selection, go to brilliantearth.com slash ringermba. And now, group chat. Basketball is very good. Pumpkin pie is overrated. Leftover turkey is actually good. Mashed potatoes are better without gravy. Basketball is very good. Hello and welcome to the Ringer NBA show. This is the group chat. I am Justin Verrier and joining me on the line from Dallas, Jonathan Charks. What's up, Charks? Not really a group today, but we'll make do anyways. Yes, Chris Ryan is not with us, unfortunately. Uh, A little bit of load management, almost literally, because he was doing about six podcasts today before he takes off for the holiday break. But we have Isaac Lee back on the controls. Yeah, yeah. And he has agreed to chime in more. But you know what it is, though, with Chris? The Sixers lost last night in kind of spectacular fashion, and so he's just getting out of here. Yeah. He's dodging you, Charks. You're like his uh, he want our, Darren our Fox. slander. Yeah, yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, so for today, we're going to do a mailbag, as we've done in the past, a little bit of a general NBA talk for your holiday journey. Unfortunately for you, there are no podcasts left on the Ringer NBA show this week because of the holiday. So you're stuck with me, Charks and Isaac. You cannot tune away. Well, I guess they can, but please don't. Give yes. us some spins. Please, please don't. For the fate of this <laughs> this one show, please don't. Uh, so we asked for your questions on the Ringer NBA show uh, or the Ringer NBA Twitter account. We don't have a Ringer NBA show Twitter account, do we, no, Isaac? No, it's not specific to the show, but, you know, go subscribe. <laughs> please do. Uh, thank you for your questions and for telling us that we hate the Lakers and asking us why we hate the Lakers. I think that accounted for maybe four or five of the 50 or so questions that we got from this one. And Raptors talk too. A lot of Raptors hate coming from us, apparently. Right. And I guess I am to blame for both of those. So I apologize in advance. I do blame you for most of these things. Yeah. You're usually the one behind it also. As you should. Although I do, I will say just briefly, I think the most off-putting thing about the Lakers hate specifically or just projecting onto us that we hate the Lakers is that I care enough to hate the Lakers and that it would affect my uh, Mm. opinion. Great spin. (laughs) You like that one? (laughs) Like it actually is good for me if the Lakers are good because then like maybe I will see a conference finals game in Los Angeles. But I actually don't care that much. Are you like right off the bat just ignoring the fact that there's another team in Los Angeles that could also make the conference finals or... 
Are the, oh are man, the here we go with this again. Don't worry, we've talked about the Clippers. Let's not get into this path right now. <laughs> Give them plenty of love. There's been no anti-Clippers talk on this podcast. So let's go ahead with that. Any perceived slight I will take and I will expand and amplify into a large insult against my heart. Yeah, there's not enough these days. It's all good things. So you need to find the bad. Yeah, I'm, re- I'm really doing this, pulling the Draymond Green straw man thing <laughs> of just anything to get a chip on my shoulder. Yeah, well... We're not going to talk about the Lakers, or at least directly, but we are going to talk, or at least this first question does involve the Raptors. So let's start here. It is from Davy W. Lucas. He asks, which team with a strong record right now is the biggest pretender? And in parentheses, he asks, if you say the Raptors, I swear to God, I will probably continue to consume all the Ringer NBA content available, <laughs> but through gritted teeth. Which... Not bad considering, you know? Uh, yeah, that's not, like, not much of a threat, really, honestly. These yeah. Canadians, they can't really talk tough. <laughs> this is true. Uh, but Sharks, in response to his question specifically, which team who is doing well right now would you say is the biggest pretender? Okay, I was looking at like the top seven or eight teams in the league, and what jumps out to me, and I feel like we've all pretty much established now, like the best, the league really runs through the wing positions. Mm-hmm. It's all about having multiple, like big three and D supersized wings. And the team to me, I look at as like a really good team, but with missing that piece is the Utah Jazz. I look at the Jazz and I say, man, if they're in the second round of the playoffs and they have to play the Lakers or the Clippers and they've got Bogdanovich, Royce O'Neal, Joe Ingles, I just feel like that puts a ceiling on your team. You just, they don't got the horses, I don't think, throwing with the big boys. If you could identify the third fan base that we didn't want to upset because they're so passionate on Twitter, Sharks, you found them. Oh, that's right. That's right. Well, I mean, I think they're very good, but to me, you're missing a piece that makes you a serious contender. Yeah, I, I think it's fair. I think everyone came out of the offseason expecting the, the Jazz to be the dark horse kind of finals contender to the point where they were no longer the dark horse. They were very much in the conversation or at the forefront of the conversation. Uh, they have found very quickly that just importing Mike Conley just hasn't been as much of a plug and play as they rough. expected. Yeah, and I think you're starting to see both. He said this, I believe, and you're also seeing other people say this about him. Just the pick and roll combination he has with Rudy Gobert just hasn't worked as seamlessly, perhaps because of the differences between Gasol and Gobert. Does that seem fair to you? Yeah, I think Gasol, very, very underrated. The things he does is just like you look at Toronto and how he makes everyone around him better. How he's so like to me, Gasol is one of the most underrated players in the league. Even when they traded for him last year, I wasn't like really buying the trade. But looking at it now, I feel like he really he's what helping Siakam be better. He's helping everyone be better in Toronto. I think he's kind of like that hidden because he doesn't score a lot of points, but he does so many other things well. It makes everyone around him better. Yeah, I mean, on the flip side, the Jazz do have the best defense in the NBA once again. One thing I do think about in terms of just where the Jazz are now, they are 11 and 5. They are a team that I feel like will be there at the end of the season, will be, you know, first round, second round sort of team. Are our perceptions of how they're doing warped because we expected so much from them? Because last year when they slumped, I think there was a lot of talk about them being a sleeping giants. The advanced statistics suggested they were way better than they were playing. They had injuries and ultimately turned it around in the second half for the second season in a row. But now they're they're doing well. They're not cratering. And yet here we are talking about them as a disappointment. Well, you're comparing them to the LA teams, right? Mm-hmm. If you're trying to compare them to the best teams in the league, like they've been, they've been good now for long enough to where 
first, second round, it's like, ah, whatever. Now you're being compared to that second, third, fourth round kind of team. And I don't think they made the upgrades to really get in that conversation. Yeah, and I guess they put themselves in that position because they did go on a limb and sacrifice some future draft assets, including Grayson Allen, in order to take the next step. They went and got Conley. Honestly, that might have not been a huge (laughs) sacrifice. (laughs) No, but at the very least, it was a recent draft pick. Uh, but yes, got Bogdanovich in there at Davis, who's been hurt. Uh, you know, so they they did make upgrades with the assumption that they would be there in the upper crust. They haven't made it there thus far. I would also pinpoint a team that's in that sort of range where they've been doing well, but not as well as perhaps they, we might have expected them to. And that's the Houston Rockets. They're eleven and six. Perhaps a little bit of recency bias because they're just coming off of three straight losses, but three straight losses against teams that they're going to need to beat, if not now, then in the playoffs with the Nuggets, the Clippers, and the Mavs. They're 3.1 in net rating, which is 12th in the NBA, behind teams like the Sixers and the Jazz. We're picking nits a little bit because I do think the Rockets have solidified themselves as a team who should be in the top part of the NBA, but the very least, like for me, there's just, I don't feel as comfortable about what they're doing because a lot of it still seems like it's dependent on the Harden show. Did you watch any of those games? It was pretty fascinating. So like the Mavs game, they just threw doubles of Harden the whole time. I think we all were expecting this at some point. They're like, we're just not going to guard Russ anymore. The man cannot shoot. We're doubling Harden every time. And I feel like that was an interesting adjustment over the last couple of games. Is Really, I think the Nuggets game started it. It's like, we're going to hard double Harden constantly because we don't believe the guys around him can make plays. Yeah, I mean, I looked up the numbers right before here, and it's still similar to what it has been all season and what we kind of expected. Harden and Russ are plus 6.3 in net rating. Just Harden on the floor without Russ is 10.2. And just Russ without Harden, minus 16.6. Minus 16. Golly, I know this is quite that bad. It's not good. It's not good. And I think the thing that I'm most concerned about, in addition to that, is just the roster is thin. We've talked about this before. Eric Gordon is still out. And Clint Capella, who's like, come on, and gotten like, what, 20 rebounds a night at this point, probably in part by playing with Russ and getting all of those missed shots. Uh, but he's questionable for an illness tonight. And that's obviously not something that we expect to linger for the whole season. But if Capella's not playing, if Gordon isn't playing, all of a sudden you look around and you're like, who is here I mean, to support? They're playing Tyson Chandler a lot right now behind Capella. He's like freaking 40, basically, at this point. Yeah, I mean, he was kind of a throw-in last year with the Lakers as they tried to salvage their season. Uh, I think we forget, considering all of the offensive fireworks with the Rockets, that this team, when they were at their best, had the defense to counterbalance them. All the switching, all the Jeff Bedzilic stuff. And I look, and they're 18th in defense, and that's just not going to be enough in order to balance things out. It just seems like they're falling back into this habit of just like relying too much on outscoring teams. And there's only so much of that you could do. Well, Chris isn't here, so we can kind of just talk about Russ more. Yeah. Russ can start playing defense, man. Like, there's just, you got to stop jumping at steals, play sound positional defense. You're 31 now, I think. Like it's time to lock down and play serious basketball. You're not the man anymore. You're gonna. You're you're one of the supporting cast. You've got a guard. You just have to. Yeah, I mean, he's trying harder. It seems Kevin O'Connor made a point about this in one of his uh, three pieces last week. He did a reality check series, and, and he asked a question about each team, and he made the point basically that Russ isn't better. And at this point, we should probably stop expecting him to be better at the things that we've always wanted him to be better at, including shooting. But he has been a better teammate 
So he has like conceded the floor to Harden and kind of let him be the guy on the team. On the other hand, I know that it, it, we're expecting too much, but I look at just Russ's physicality and just like what he can do from just being an athlete in this kind of like bowling ball, like running down the court so fast. I'm just like, why can't he just be the ultimate hustle player? And it's just like, it never happens. And I think too, sometimes... Like you got to hustle smartly. You got to like not jump at steals. Like you can't just try harder. You've got to like think the game too. You've yeah. got to like try smarter. That's a great point. And the other thing too, I think they're really missing Eric Gordon. He's been bad this year, but last year, Eric Gordon was so big for them. He guarded Donovan Mitchell in the playoffs and almost shut him down in a couple of games. Like he's a guy, like he's one of their best defenders and he was one of their best shooters before he like couldn't make a thing before he got hurt this year. I think he had like a knee injury. He's out for a while. That's a guy they have to get going because really, if Russ keeps playing like this, you might need Gordon to be the second guy behind Harden when Harden comes out. Maybe Gordon should have the offense in his hands because Russ is not getting it done. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of the pitfall of having a top-heavy team. And even though Eric Gordon isn't, I don't know, is he their fourth best player? Is he their fifth best player? I don't know. But, you know, they need him, especially if Russ isn't going to provide the spacing and you're going to be playing Russ a lot. Whenever Russ and Harden are on the floor together, it's just that's going to be a negative space. And you just don't have Gordon to really kind of balance out the team. Yeah, and you're talking about a top heavy. They're playing Ben McLemore a ton of minutes. Yeah, Ben McLemore. Yeah, he's starting. <laughs> yeah. I definitely expected McLemore to be like to step into the NBA and be the next Ray Allen. Do we remember this when he was getting that buzz? Yeah, I mean, he was a top 10 pick. I liked him coming out of Kansas. It just did not happen for him. And I don't know if like just getting into the King system just completely just torpedoes everyone, like just completely like sucks out his his confidence or whatever it is. But if he cannot just hit open three pointers in the rocket system where they are just like in abundance, I just don't know what we could do with him. But yeah, yeah, they're down to like some guys that really shouldn't be playing heavy minutes for them. And so that's why I'm concerned. On the flip side, though, the other team or one of the other teams in Texas is having the complete opposite early start hey, to the season. Let's talk Mavs. Never too much Mavs talk on the ringer. <laughs> let's talk Mavs. Uh, Charks flagged three questions before we started this, and one of them, of course... There was like 10 Mavs questions. People want to talk Luca, man. It's great. Apparently, yes. So let's start with this one. We have a few of them we can get to that are all kind of related, but let's start with Luca specifically. Uh, this is from D. Fern. If Luka Doncic continues to maintain his current averages and form or slight drop, how many games do the Mavs need to win for him to generally win MVP? So basically, how many wins do the Mavs need for Doncic to have a legitimate shot at MVP? I mean, it's tough. Like, if you're talking legitimate shot at MVP, the Bucs are going to win, like, what, 60, 65 games probably? Yeah, 538 has them with 62 as their projection. What do they have the Mavs at right now? Have they changed it since the, the new win streak? So I checked this Tuesday afternoon and they were at 50. I, mean, I think like for a second year player, there's going to be so much kind of resistance just from like a second year guy jumping the line a little bit. Probably like 55, 57. Like to me, MVP talk is a little, I'm not ready to go there yet. Because I just think he has to get like that 57 wins probably for, to be realistic, right? If he's at 50 wins and Giannis at 62, he's not going to get the award. There's no way. Yeah, I think the thing that Jan, or Doncic sorry, is going to be up against is just that he is the newcomer. And I think regardless of how well he plays, he's always going to have that little, like, he's, that's going to be used against him. And so I wrote down 60. I think 60 is bulletproof. If you get to 60 wins, that's enough to basically, like, discount anyone trying to knock him for this being too early or whatever it might be. 
uh, realistically, I think it's cl- probably closer to something that, like, you know, what the Rockets got last year, which is 56. I think you do need to beat out the Rockets specifically. Yeah, for sure. It's Harden is going to be like the obvious comparison. Who has the better record out of those two teams? Yeah, I, I mean, I think we are barreling toward a similar result to last year where Giannis, the Bucks are going to win a lot of games and Giannis is going to play particularly well. Middleton has been out. Uh, he doesn't have Brogdon there. And so I think he is getting more opportunities. And just by sheer fact of taking more threes and making more threes, you'd expect at least the the scoring numbers to, to take a a little bit of a hike there. I think, and I think for Giannis, that helps to have that like extra thing because you kind of have to have a new story every year. And now this year's story is he has a three-point shot. And I think too, like he's the anti-load management guy. Like he plays all the time. Yeah, that's it. Right? He's like point. in the prime of his career. He runs around constantly. He's almost indestructible, it seems like. Has he ever been hurt before? I can't remember he ever been hurt. I can't Knock remember. on wood, I guess. I don't think he's been to the point of like Carl Towns who missed like a couple games only because he was in a car accident. But yeah, he has been really durable throughout his entire career. Yeah, that's a good point. And he's always going to have also the defensive argument. And on the flip side of that, Harden will constantly be this just like unstoppable offensive force. He is also taking a step forward in like progressing the narrative. He's flirting with 40 points a game uh, as an average. And we talk about Wilt and all this other stuff. And so I think too, he's paid his dues. I believe in that a little bit. Luca's got time on MVPs. We don't need to jump the line, right? The backlash is brewing already. Let's not get too out of hand with this thing. Yeah. I mean, listen, Luca has a legitimate shot. At this point, I would put him third because, yes, we could talk about it being too early or maybe like the Mavs schedule, as Isaac flagged for me. It has been a little cakey. At the same time, they have the best offense in the NBA and they are currently sitting at the top of the NBA in net rating. Like, that's legit. You want to talk, you want to talk Mavs for a second, Justin? I think there's a couple things that are happening people really aren't realizing nationally that have made a big difference for Dallas over the last couple of weeks. Please. Carlisle's kind of figured out that Luka's going to dribble the ball the whole game. So... If you have to dribble, it's not going to work because Luca has the ball. Like no one's telling Luca to give the ball up. That means he's finding guys who don't have to need, don't need the ball. So like he's starting Tim Hardaway Jr. And the funny thing is about Tim Hardaway Jr. For as much grief as he gets, that man is always ready to shoot. Right? There's no warm up for THJ. If he catches the ball, it's going to go up. Whereas like Delon Wright, Seth Curry, Jalen Brunson, all those guys are really they're like ball handlers. Mm-hmm. They don't really get in a rhythm with Luca dominating the ball like that. But with THJ, it's just catch and shoot, catch and shoot. And that's a key for Luca. You have to have catch and shoot guys around them. So they're playing THJ more and they're using Porzingis more off the ball. Like they're kind of cutting back on his post ups because they're saying, look, Porzingis, you're best when Luca's getting you shots and you're getting up shots fast. So we're not going to like post you up a million times and have you take a low, low percentage turnaround shot. It's cutting off the ball. It's Luca passing you quickly and shooting. And then like the team is being maximized. Then the bench guys, then the bench, you've got like Curry, Wright, Brunson. They're killing teams too because they have so many good point guards when Luca's not in the game. So I think that really adjustment Carlisle made in the last week and a half, it was pushed the Mavs to becoming a really good team this season. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this too, that the fact that they swung and missed yet again in free agency, they didn't get a Kemba Walker another sort of superstar to pair with Porzingis and Luka Doncic has worked out in their benefit. They just seem like a more complete team and that's already paying off in terms of regular season record. They're currently fourth in the West at 11 and five. And like, I don't expect this to slow down specifically because of what you're mentioning. They are deep. Uh, If they have injuries, a guy like Brunson can step up and play more. 
I think the question then becomes, what are they in the playoffs? And do they have enough? And are these some of these kind of ancillary guys who are filling in roles now, are they going to be enough against a top-heavy team like the Lakers, like the Clippers? See, to me, that's where it gets tough. I mean, it's the same conversation as the Jazz. Like, the Mavs, their defense on the wing. Right now, it's Dorian Finney-Smith who's been really good, and it's Tim Hardaway Jr. Like, those guys aren't guarding your big wings in the playoff series. Yeah, I, I kind of don't want THJ anywhere near Luca. I know he's like kind of... He's killing it right now, though. He's been really good. Yeah, he suppresses inner THJ, but like... I do worry in a playoff series and the bright lights are on, all of a sudden he's taking more shots than he should. I mean, it's just tough because he's playing deep. Like the Mavs are like asking him to guard like Bradley Beal and LeBron. Like that right there tells you this team is ready to win a championship. If that's like your solution. Yeah, yeah. And I think this is a good segue to our next Mavs related question, which is from Rhino77. What move should the Mavericks do to take them over the top and become a championship contender? Do you have any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it goes back to that Utah conversation again. Like, they need a 3 and D wing who's going to guard LeBron and Kawhi, but everyone needs that. Like, those guys right. aren't available in trades. Yeah, I feel like if we were to do a segment on each team, we would end up, like, kind of just mentioning a 3 and D wing at some point, except for the Clippers. Well, I feel like those guys are like centers, like, 30 years ago, where it was like, you got to have your big center to guard the post, and that was the franchise player. Now it's that 6-8 do-everything wing. Without that kind of player, it's just tough later in the playoffs. Yeah, I wrote down a couple, like, possible suggestions. One, which I think is actually kind of doable, especially if it's not a trade, it's more of a buyout. What about Andre Iguodala? I love him in Dallas. I feel like, though, he's probably going to go to L.A., I don't think he wants to live in Dallas at his age, my guess. <laughs> uh, it's not a hot spot for someone like him. I don't, I don't, I, I mean, he's a Silicon Valley magnet now. He's, we're not really. <laughs> it's true. Yes, he needs to be closer to his, his tech connections. Yeah, no, I, it would have to probably come via trade. And one of the big issues with the Mavs and with this question in general is what do the Mavs really have in terms of assets? They have their 2021 first and their 2023 first due to the Knicks, which means they can't trade any pick until, I believe, 2025. They can work a thing with swap rights. But outside of that, you're really dealing from the core. And in terms of younger assets that teams would want, it's really, what, Jalen Brunson, maybe? It's really Jalen Brunson. And I I think he's pretty good, but he's been like in the back burner the last few weeks. He's kind of lost out with the way the team's been reshuffled. So he played like three minutes the other night. Like, how are you going to be a trade piece playing three minutes a game? Right. And he doesn't have the pedigree of someone like who could uh, a second round pick. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so. Delon Wright is another guy, but as you mentioned, he's a bigger piece of what they're doing now, and not a great shooter. And I don't know, like Delon's going to be a big trade ship either. Like you know, <laughs> true, true. Uh, let me throw this out at you, just on kind of like the the lower level. What about Frankie Smokes? I've been saying for a while we need Frankie. He'd be perfect in Dallas. Get that Team Euro thing going. I'm all for that. I'm not a big Smokes fan, but I feel like he needs out of the Knicks. And I feel like the Mavs, if they could just become like the like island where all of former Knicks kind of rehabilitate their value or just like go to rest up and, and just like get back into society, I definitely would be for that. I mean, he's starting now in New York. I mean, I don't know that he's doing much with it, but he's starting. Like they're giving a ton of minutes. We'll see how long that lasts. I would love it. I would love Frankie Smokes, though. Yeah, it'd be great. But once again, what are you trading for him, though? Right? You would assume that this would have to be the Knicks just giving up on him. 
I don't know. Do, do they need a Brunson? Do they need a couple seconds? I don't know. What can we throw at the Knicks that they would I just would give do up? Brunson for, I don't know if they'd ever play him, but I think he actually helped them a lot. He's a legitimate distributor. I also don't know if the Knicks can get over the PTSD of of just like getting fleeced on the first deal they did with the Mavs. So that that always comes into a, a effect. And according to the Knicks, they are trying to at least maintain this the perception of being competitive this season. Uh, For clarification purposes. Very nice. <laughs> right. nice. Very important note. Sharks, anybody else you well see done. that could really make an impact on the Mavs this season? The, a couple of guys I was thinking of along those lines, two guys from, from Florida. I think Aaron Gordon. I've been saying for a while, he's kind of got, got to be traded out of Orlando. I think he's exactly the kind of player they need. If, if they get Aaron Gordon on this team, it's just how are you going to do that, right? Right. I just don't see the trade they're going to make for Aaron Gordon. The other guy along those same lines is Justice Winslow. It kind of feels like he's out on the outside in Miami. It's Jimmy Butler's team now. It's Butler and Shooters. There's not really a role for Winslow on that team anymore. I love him in Dallas, but once again, the same thing. What are you trading for him, really? Right. Sharks has been trying to trade Aaron Gordon for what? Six years now? Something like that. Pretty much once they drafted him with Alfred Payton. Like, this team doesn't know what they're doing. Get him out of there. Were you, am I remembering this correctly? Were you the source of the CJ McCollum, Aaron Gordon trade that led to CJ McCollum calling out Bill? That that was me. (laughs) (laughs) I I love the idea. And honestly, I I think to this day, it still makes a lot of sense. But, you know, if you look at the Magic, at a certain point, they need to figure out the front court, and it just feels like Gordon, uh, who I think has been dinged up a little bit this season, just... He's been bad this year. He's still taking a step back. Yeah, but he makes a lot of sense on the Mavs team. Uh, it just It seems like, like you mentioned, their biggest weakness is on the perimeter, and it just seems like he would be the optimal, just like defensive Swiss Army knife to pair with Luka and KP. You have Aaron Gordon kind of being the defensive uh, juggernaut. He could be the one who locks down that end where you have Luca on the other end and KP still spotting up and uh, providing the rim protection that he does. I do think though, one question we should address is that yes, the Mavericks don't have any clear cut assets, but would you, they ever get to the point considering his slow start to the season of trading Kristaps Porzingis? Oh, that's quite a take, Justin, quite a take. I mean, it would be cutthroat seeing that they just traded for him not even a year ago and they just signed him to a max extension but would they ever get to the point where they could do that? Like, would that ever make sense for them? I think it'd be more if he got to the point. If he was like, I want the ball sometimes. I don't like that Luca always dominates the ball. Because I think if he's going to be in Dallas, he has to accept that this is Luca's team. And like, really for me, I really wouldn't mind Luca giving the ball up some, but that's just not going to happen. Like, that's, that's over. That ship has sailed. My man's got the ball. Everyone's got to deal with it. Right, which means he's probably going to be spotting up more and just hanging out around the rim on defense than probably he wants to. Are you getting any like sort of vibe from him in Dallas? Is he going along and getting along? Or can you see like maybe that is wearing on him, his role? I think for now it's fine because, you know, the injury, they're winning games. If they weren't winning games, it'd be a different story. It's just tough because he's in this box now where he said, I just want to win, you know. He gave that usual cliche answer. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, well, you want to win, bro. You're winning, but you're not playing the same kind of role. I've been thinking about it. It's almost like with you know, Love and uh, Chris Bosh, right? Where they had to go from being the primary guy to being a stretch big. But those guys were like 27, 28 when it happened. He's 23. Right. He's in a little box right now. Right. He's all, already made an all-star team. 
Uh, he's coming back from the injury and probably want to show wants to show everybody like what he can do. I think that we assumed now that the NBA is kind of pivoting toward big twos that like these sorts of issues won't matter. You look at Paul George and Kawhi and all of a sudden George just comes back from injury and he steps in and he looks great. And when he plays with Kawhi, it's everything we imagined. Uh, LeBron and AD, another partnership that's just gone off to a, a really good start. And even, you know, we just talked about Harden and Westbrook, but in terms of chemistry, like they seem fine. They they always do their cool thing where they sit on the sidelines and like sing to each other before games. <laughs> KP and Luca were in arranged marriage and they're both younger and they're both trying to prove That's themselves. That's the thing. It's the younger part. That's what worries me a little bit. I feel like like with AD, AD lost for what, like seven straight years? I think you lose that much. I don't think it was that much, but yes, he he went through a lot right? in New Orleans. It's a lot of humble pie. Like younger guys, they've only had a few slices of humble pie, not the whole serving. So that that worries me a bit. I think younger guys have a hard time sacrificing because they want to get theirs first. And then, you know, when you're George and Kawhi, you're what you're eight, you're nine, you've got your money, you're ready to kind of take a step back and win. Yeah. And I mean, if you are a big two, that just kind of shines more of a spotlight on you if you are disgruntled, if the partnership just doesn't work. A guy like Bosch. Okay, Justin. Yeah. You want to talk big two? Let's talk real big two in Dallas. Okay. Did you see KOC's article today about Luka and Giannis? I did, yes. Why not be on the same team? Luka and Giannis 2021, let's go. It took me a second to figure out where you're going for. I thought you were going to make like a Cowboys reference, and I was like, oh God, I haven't watched football in like five years. No, we're over that. That's a whole different conversation. But I'm saying, if Giannis wants to win a championship, let's get get him in Dallas. Team Euro, baby. Can you imagine... Oh, I can imagine. I can definitely imagine it. <laughs> Sharks has been talking to me about this for like a year. So uh, this isn't new. But yeah, no, that'd be great. I also think every team that has cap space or just every team in general wants Giannis as well and envisions a future yes, with him. Yes, but how many of those teams have a 20-year-old MVP-level point guard who couldn't pick and roll with Giannis? What a great transition to our next question, Sharks. But before that, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. Today's episode of the Ringer NBA show group chat is brought to you by the Google Assistant. This week's Friday night matchup should be very entertaining. Maybe I'll have you guys over to watch this game. Hey, Google, add chips and salsa to my shopping list. All right, I added chips and salsa. The Google Assistant is ready to help you get more done with just your voice in the car, at home, and everywhere you take your phone. A little help, hands-free. Just say, hey, Google, to get started. Today's show is also brought to you by FanDuel. If you're in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, or Indiana, then listen up. There's something huge coming your way. And if you're not, I want to invite you to skip ahead 60 seconds because this might sting a little. Okay, now that it's just us, here it is. FanDuel knows that nothing brings people together like points. So this Thanksgiving, FanDuel Sportsbook is running special promos on overbets all day long. Let's be honest, you can never guarantee that Thanksgiving Day slate is going to set the world on fire. But when you bet the over, you've always got something to look forward to. FanDuel's got a bunch of great promos to choose from, but here's my favorite. Double winnings on any single game overbet. You heard that right. Just bet the over on any or all of the Thanksgiving Day games and earn up to 50 bucks bonus for each one that hits. And if you're new to FanDuel, be sure to sign up with the promo code RINGERMBA to get your first bet risk-free. Just place any bet and get refunded up to 500 bucks in site credit if you don't win. 
One last time, visit FanDuel.com slash BetTheOver to see the Thanksgiving Day promos. And if you're new, be sure to sign up with the promo code RINGERNBA to get your first bet risk-free. Must be 21 plus and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, or Indiana. Site credit is non-withdrawable and expires seven days after receipt. Terms and restrictions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net or in Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. And now back to group chat. All right, we're back. Charks, Isaac, and Justin are here. We're talking uh, about some of your questions that you sent in to us. We were just talking about the Mavs before the break, which leads to our next question pretty seamlessly here from OI underscore wall. Ranking of, well, I'll just put it in a phrase of the question because it's actually more of a statement. Uh, which players under 25 are the best to build with? He mentions Embiid and Siakam, but I think the conversation, Charks, probably starts with the guy we were just talking about, Luka Doncic. Yeah, how old is Giannis now? Is he out of this age range? He's the same age as me, so he's 24. Oh my oh, God, okay. I, didn't, I didn't realize he was 24. That's insane. Yeah, he came like 18 or something. Wow. So he is almost 25. He's going to turn 25 in December 6th. I didn't amazing? even consider him because of that. Okay, so that I guess let's start the conversation there. Would you rather have Luka or Giannis? I mean, I, I got to say Giannis still. Like, they do play defense. So. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, I do think I would I would go that as well. But I would have to say that both are 1-2. That's a pretty clear-cut one, Charks. Giannis won Luka too. Um, if we're starting a team tomorrow too, this isn't like factoring yeah. in current contracts because then it gets a little dicey. Let's go to three because I think that's pretty clear at this point. Okay. Cam Reddish, he's your three. Cat? <laughs> How about Cat? <laughs> Oh, Cat. I forgot about Cat. There's so many young guys in this league. I automatically... I know, it's great. I automatically went to Zion. Jokic is 24. Jokic is also 24, yes. Isn't uh, that crazy? I think it's like a passing of the torch happening in the league right now. There's so many good young players. Yeah. Would you rather have Towns or Doncic because of the defensive things that we talked about earlier? It isn't like Cat's some elite defender, though, so... Yeah. He's just big. He's a large man. Yeah, I, that's I love cat. I'm a cat guy, but I think I would go Giannis, Luca, cat. One, two, three. The question is Zion. Where does Zion fall into this? Charles, don't you own a cat too? Yeah, I mean, I have a cat. Everyone has cats. Right? That's not. <laughs> it's a very separate question from whether he supports Carl Anthony Towns. Shout out Feisty, Feisty Gray, Feisty. That's a good name. I've been looking for a dog for a couple months, so it's on. That's the been, it's been like a year now. That's not even going to happen. Is it? I feel <laughs> I, like that sh- didn't that ship sail. Listen, the dog market is probably more competitive than the rental market in Los Angeles. I have gone to several places where I see a, a cute dog on Instagram. I'm like, gotta get this dog. Perfect for me. Like my apartment only wants it to be 35 pounds or under, so that's like restrictive. And so I finally find the right ones. And then all of a sudden I go there and they're literally like there have been times where people have been carrying them out as I get there. It's an emotional journey for me and I haven't been handling it well. Thanks for See, asking. See, that's the first problem is you're on Instagram, like go go on the real world, go to a pound. Like stop going online for things, Justin. That's your problem. <laughs> Okay, boomer. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I'm approaching this too much as a millennial. No, it's it's brutal out there. So if anybody has some suggestions, I saw J.R. Smith on one of these Instagram accounts is fostering dogs. Uh, maybe he can help me out. But yeah, need a dog, so please help. Uh, yes, but you're a cat guy, <laughs> but you wouldn't pick him over Doncic. That's where we said. I guess the question is Zion. 
I feel like Zion could be in that Giannis range. I think that's his ceiling as that kind of player. So, I mean, what he did in the preseason was incredible. Yeah, but I mean, we talked about injuries and, and Giannis not being the type of guy who will miss that's games. True. Even yeah. Gian, even like Doncic, we talk about his lack of athleticism or the fact that he was a little bit overweight in his rookie season. He hasn't missed a ton of games. He played 72 as a rookie and he's already played in what, all 16 yeah. this, this season? That is true. I, I, one thing I've noticed I've gotten older, like I play basketball, I don't jump, so I'm never hurt. Like if you don't <laughs> jump, you really can't get hurt, honestly. So you're saying you and Luca have the same game? <laughs> I'm more of a Kyle Anderson kind of player. That's why I like to compare myself. Oh, to. wow. What was Taylor Jenkins? You did a, a, a feature on him recently, the Memphis Grizzlies coach, because he used to He's play. He's more him. of like a Taj Gibson kind of guy. He was like a little <laughs> dirty, dirty work, high post, 18 foot jump shot kind of player. These are very specific comps, and I like it. How about Siakam? Where is he on these lists these days? Yeah, I, so I think there is a clear tier where it's Giannis, Luka, Towns, Zion. I wonder where Jokic is. I think he's a cut below Williamson just because of recently just some of the weight issues and the fact that I, I do wonder about his conditioning long term and like just like if you don't go into this season where your team was primed to like compete for the number one seed in the West and also like he seemed like a pretty clear cut MVP candidate. I'm a little concerned about him. So I might put him in the tier below Zion. And I think that's when you're talking about Embiid, Siakam, and I might even throw in Ben Simmons. I hate to be uh, the Ringer employee here, but uh, where's Jason Tatum in all of this? Because he's looking really good recently. Sharks, that's your guy. I can't even take credit for him. I was really hard on him earlier for the draft. He's good, but to me, him and Jalen Brown are pretty close. Mm. I'm not sure Tatum's much better than Brown, honestly. I think the two-way potential of Jason Tatum, because we're just thinking about a player to build around, right? Mm -hmm. And you look at Tatum and you look at a player like Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons, you can see the ceiling. If he develops a jump shot, that might raise the ceiling, but not too much. Jason Tatum, his ceiling is, I don't know, Paul George? See, I don't know about that. See, you say that, like, to me, Tatum has got to start passing the ball before I think of him in that kind of player. Mm -hmm. I think he's at right Mm -hmm. now... Well, 2.5 assists. So that's like a career high for him. Like, Fair let's point. get that number up before we're talking about. That's why I think Siakam to me is getting up there. Like, what can Siakam do on the court these days? He's guarding multiple positions. He's scoring at will. He's passing. He's defending. He's shooting. He's to trolling. Me, he's becoming a legit. Yeah, he's trolling Embiid, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, Justin, is he the best Cameroonian player in the NBA? Pascal Siakam? Ah, uh, so this is a tough one. We're coming off a matchup last night where. Siakam did win that battle. Uh, Siakam managed to shut down the Sixers late in that game, scored a big bucket. He shut down uh, a late possession from the Sixers and then took an outlet pass and dunked it as time expires to really punctuate the win and also gave, I assume it was Embiid, but also the Sixers in general, the Game of Thrones, Night King, like what's up now sort of pose. I don't know what you'd call it specifically. And meanwhile, Embiid had zero points and he was zero from 11 from the floor. So I don't know. In that matchup, yes, Siakam was best. Although, I don't know if it's just like the their draft positions and how much that colors it. But I, I still think Embiid, considering just like what a force he is as a rim protector, I, I might skew Embiid. I, I don't feel comfortable, like, like completely confident in that, though. I just feel like with Embiid and Simmons, I think at this point, they're really holding each other back. Yeah, that tier is really interesting to me. I would rank it Simmons- Embiid, Siakam, 
And like you, uh, you definitely don't have to convince me about the fact that Simmons and Embiid need to break up. I think that is for the best for both of them. I think I am still buying Simmons in the theoretical, just like him getting his own team and a team built around him. I still wonder like whether or not he can't be the guy we all expected him to be. Justin, you know uh, Chris isn't here. You don't have to say that. <laughs> no, I know, but uh, get your slander out now while while you can before your, <laughs> while your boss is gone. Let's just get this. Let's get it out. Yeah, I mean, I think it's also interesting to throw in Brandon Ingram, a guy who's he's been now, killing it. I know, and so I I know the mismatch talked about this the other day whether or not Ingram was better than Simmons, but I do think you have to loop him in, especially in conjunction with like Tatum. Would you rather have Ingram right now, or would you rather have Tatum? Oof. I think Ingram's a better on the ball, but Tatum is better in a secondary role. You know, does that make sense? Yeah. Like if I was building a team as a point guard rather than Ingram, but Tatum really makes can play off the ball a lot better, which is important as you're seeing that off ball ability too. Yeah, I wonder with Ingram what happens when Zion gets back. Uh, it's obviously a small sample, and it was in preseason, but it just didn't seem like Ingram was comfortable in an offense built around Zion and, and, and a world constructed around Zion. And so I am curious about uh, how well he'll like transition to the second chair. Cause I watch some of those Pelicans games these days and a lot of their success and it, is, it has been moderate thus far. Uh, it does feel like it comes from Ingram just kind of being the guy and just like taking the shot and coming down the court and just like, yeah, I mean, really? Three. Cause like Lonzo's back on the bench now, like they're starting Redick again and it feels like, yeah, it's kind of made the, pecking order a little clear. It's like Ingram, Drew, and then shooters, and then a role man. We'll see with Zion, the whole thing changes. Yeah, and I don't think it's a coincidence that like Drew has been better with JJ on the floor and vice versa. Uh, that lineup just makes more sense to me and like putting a guy like Kenny Hustle at the floor who could do a little bit of everything. Wait, wait who's Kenny? Are we calling, is that Ken Rich Williams? Yeah, man. You're not hip Kenny to Kenny Hustle, world. I like that. Yeah. That's, a good, that's a good nickname. Yeah, I like it. he's good. TCU's finest, Ken McWilliams. <laughs> yeah, like I think they ended up waving your guy Christian Wood in order to keep Kenny Hustle going into this season. I mean, Kenny Hustle's outplaying like all these like first round picks, Alexander Walker, uh, Josh Hart. It's just your guy. It's it really, this is your guy, Kenny Hustle. He's really playing well. Yeah, and I think this is a good thing for the Pelicans overall because they've needed to just find the team from their like 11 deep roster of, of just good players and good young players for the most part. And you're starting to see just decisions being made. And so I do wonder going from that, what will happen in the trade market? Uh, one last question before we, we kind of transition back to trades. I think the young point guard tier is also interesting in this under, under 25 discussion. Uh, I don't know if you caught any of John ja Morant against the Lakers on Saturday, I believe it was, but he has just been a revelation. Uh, I know I've been high on him and anyone who's listened to the podcast knows that from the get-go, but like he just has this effect on the entire game that I just was not expecting. Yeah, he's really playing well. The one thing with Ja, it's he's kind of an all-or-nothing guy, right? In Memphis, there's nobody else needs the ball. It's all Ja Moran all the time. So somewhere else, ready to play off someone else, that'd be, I think, very difficult for me. He's not really a shooter right now. Yes, and so this is a good segue to my question about this tier. Uh, so among the young point guards, who would you rather have, Jean Morant, Trey Young, or Shea Gilgers-Alexander? Ooh, Shea's my guy. I, like, I feel like I put Shea, Shea's top 10 that under 25. I think Shea and Trey, I would take them both over Ja right now because of the shooting. I think Shea's got defense and shooting. Trey's got the shooting. Whereas Ja, I think without either is kind of a step behind them. 
Yeah, I think I would say that I, if I, we were talking about right this second, if I needed to win a game tomorrow, I would pick Trey just because of where he is and the fact like what all of his shooting can do and the fact that he could put up 40 pretty much every night. I think long term, though, I want Shea. I think Shea's like the playoff guy, like that that kind of player. He's a point guard who can guard threes and fours at his size, right? He can guard your bigger wings, and he's a point guard. Yeah, he just doesn't have any holes in his game, which I always wonder. I, the, the Clippers are great, and they're better off for it to try to make this leap and go for it right now. But I do wonder the alternate reality where Kawhi is playing next to Shea, and Shea kind of becomes his new Pascal. Oh, I like that. That's interesting. Yeah. Isaac, how do you feel about that? <sighs> I miss my guy, Shea. <laughs> really, really a complete player. Like coming in from the draft, he really had very few holes and he filled whichever holes he had really, really quickly. He's, if you ask me right now, who would I take? I would take Trey, but long term, I agree with you, Justin. I would take Shea. And yeah, that the bizarre world uh, alternate reality of Kawhi and Shea playing together. Shea could probably play the three. He could because he can guard smaller players, but he, he also has a size and the length to guard. I mean, he's playing players. with um, Chris Paul and Dennis Schroeder in Oklahoma City sometimes. Yeah. They're playing like so three point guard lineups. It, it would be cool if Shea learned from Kawhi, especially on the defensive side, uh, the way that Kawhi is really measured with the gambles that he takes. All of those smarts. Like, Shea's already a really smart player. If he learned even more of basketball IQ, like, that's a scary player. Isaac. As a Clippers fan, was like, if this team doesn't win a championship, will last team seem to remember more fondly as like the hipster Clippers team? <laughs> Isaac loves this question. Um, here's the thing: like, I can't even fathom winning a championship. Like, that's just not. <laughs> that's just not something that I like. I can even <sighs> reach in my mind. So I would have to get there first, or like get to the finals, get out of the second round first before I even contemplate any hypothetical like that that's my hedge isaac is still trying to figure out uh, what it means to be happy <laughs> yeah, aren't we all though aren't, aren't we all? <laughs> yeah I, I mean it is an interesting hypothetical uh the clippers have been playing well but the one thing that kind of is like in the back of your mind especially as Kawhi keeps missing these games and talk about load management and all of a sudden paul george has looked great but hey does he have shoulders <laughs> anymore uh it's just like this he has is a new ones justin catch uh, up uh, for now that? for now w- wait until he needs to get a tune-up but like this is a two-year window, and they do need to maximize it. They're doing well thus far, but obviously Shea and Kawhi opened the window for a longer term rather than uh, Kawhi and Paul. Um, speaking of big trades, let's talk about some that can happen mid-season. Uh, for our next question, Paul Schulberg asks, what single trade would have the biggest impact on the entire league this season? And I'm assuming he doesn't mean something like LeBron for Chris Paul, actual ones that can happen. Sharks, do you have any examples? I've got a trade I want to hap- I see happen. This is not going to happen. But Chris is not here, so I'm going to trade Ben Simmons. Ooh. What do you think about this one? Love ben it. Simmons for Jamal Murray and Malik Beasley. <sighs> I think it makes both teams better. I think I'm picking up the phone. If you're Philly, it gives you two shooters. Jamal Murray runs pick and roll Joel Embiid really well. That could be a good combination. Beasley can defend and shoot. Your team is a lot makes a lot more sense. And if you're Denver, Simmons and Jokic, I think, is a better fit than Simmons and Embiid. You can plant in the whole game. 
Those two guys can pass off each other. Jokic can play in the high post more than Embiid can. And then Simmons can be the guy who defends your LeBrons and Kawhis. I think both teams are better teamed with this trade. And you don't think that Simmons and Jokic would clash a little bit just in terms of just both wanting the ball and, and wanting to orchestrate the offense? But I think Jokic can kind of move the ball without needing it too much. He's so unselfish. He can play out of the high post and make his 100 passes. And Simmons can pass to him too. Like Embiid is more of a guy who needs the ball than Jokic does, I think. Hmm. Right? Embiid wants the ball in the low block. What is Simmons useful for in that scenario? Nothing. Right. Jokic plays the three-point line, like the high post. I do like the idea of Murray on the Sixers, if only because he's the type of player you would probably prefer around Embiid. But I still come back to the fact that I would rather lead into a team built around Simmons than Embiid, especially considering all the injuries. Oh, concerns. so you would trade you would trade Embiid before you trade Simmons? I think so, especially now that you have Al Horford there. Oh my gosh, I didn't even think about that. Where would you trade Embiid to? What's the Embiid trade? <sighs> KP for Embiid? <laughs> <laughs> Wow. I'm wow. That would be a crazy trade. Oh my god. Hmm. It's a tough one. Like which team needs a center, specifically one that just has a habit of breaking down. I mean the Heat are like at the forefront of that conversation just because they're probably looking for any sort of team that raises or any sort of player that raises their ceiling. The Celtics, oh. another team. How about this? How about if you trade in the Golden State for Draymond and D'Angelo? Ooh, uh, kind of mess. Try to change their team up a little bit. I like the idea. I think it might cause some similar issues where Draymond and Simmons on the floor. That's again two non-shooters. I guess that's true. So D'Angelo Russell and that pick. Mm. So that'll be like a top five pick next year. So what, the team would be Simmons, Richardson, Russell, Tobias, Horford. Yeah. Hmm. That's a tough one. What about the Celtics? They obviously have a need in the front court. They have all these young wings. I don't know if the Sixers can bring themselves to trade. They couldn't yet trade again Embiid to in their, in their own division. That would just be insane. Like they couldn't do that. I don't know. How much does that matter now? Horford just I think went it to matters the... in the conference. Horford mm. wasn't free agency. He wasn't traded. Yeah. I don't know. I, I do think that Embiid would be the ideal person to move, but he would be harder. Like I imagine that Simmons has more trade value if only because he's locked up on his next contract and also... And he's healthy, yeah. I bet there are a ton of teams that scouted him in the draft and still see the player that could have been rather than the one that's kind of been forced into this like secondary, tertiary role in Philadelphia. I mean, just trading Embiid is just so mind-blowing to even think about. Like, It's hard to imagine where he'd even be. Where he'd even be. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I do think that makes sense. Are, are there any other guys that you could see? Uh, Miles Turner is is a favorite of yours. Do you think he would be the type of guy who could get swung before the trade deadline? I think Indiana's going to move him eventually. They're going to try to. I think it's pretty clear Sabonis is their guy now. I think ultimately you can only have one big man. You can't have two. So the, the thing I like to see with Turner, I've been saying for a while, I, I love to see him in New Orleans. I think he's the guy with Zion that makes the most sense. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, they tried out the Favors experiment. I don't know if it worked all that well in preseason. Favors has been hurt uh, like everybody else on the Pelicans. I, yeah. I think. Yeah, that, I, thought, I thought they had new trainers, Justin. What happened with that? They do. They have the Suns trainers. There must just be something oh my in the gosh. air. There's literally a curse down there or something. It's crazy. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I can't imagine Bourbon Street is helping, uh, especially uh, with, with Zion and, <laughs> and some of his his weight concerns, concerns in air quotes. Uh, no, but I think that makes sense. You want to pair him with a shooter. Turner has been taking a lot more three-pointers. Uh, he still provides some rim protection. Uh, you could mix and match him. That makes a lot of sense. I do wonder, though, who would be the right guy going back to the Pacers? Because it seems like at this point, Brandon Ingram, I'm not trading for uh, a center, you know? No. Why not just move Drew Holiday? Give them a holiday reunion up there. <laughs> so you, I guess there's too many guards, though. It's a lot of guards, and you would put yeah. all three holidays on one team. I'm very much here <laughs> for that. That'd be pretty cool, though. That'd be really cool. Especially for this Thanksgiving edition uh, of the mailbag. It definitely fits the theme. Um, huh. Who else would be good down there? I mean, Redick is a guy that you could potentially move, but we just said like what a good fit he is there. I wouldn't mind moving on from Lonzo or Hart or some of these other Lakers players, but again, but they the- already have the, the best backcourt in the NBA in Indiana, right? <laughs> they don't need they don't need more <laughs> more guards, right? You can't block Brogdon. That's number one uh, on the absolutely list of not. That's what this pot is all about. Absolutely not. But no, I, I like the idea. Uh, I think Turner would be good there. The the specific trades that the person who asked this question were Porzingis for CJ McCollum. So he's on the bandwagon of trading KP in Dallas and Marcus Smart for Miles Turner. That's an interesting Turner destination. I think though, I was about last week. Now that Time Lords really come along, they don't need to make any <laughs> trades for centers. We got that locked up in Boston. You know, I've been thinking about this ever since then. Has Time Lord come on? Is he even playing like 10 minutes a game? <laughs> Ennis Kanter's taking his minutes like a real criminal. Get him out of there. <laughs> yes. Charks' dream scenario involves uh, Robert Williams being the franchise player for the Boston Celtics. Now, I, I think that makes some sense. I, we heard Sabonis being connected to the Celtics earlier in the season. I think KOC was riding that bandwagon. But all of a sudden, just seems like Sabonis just gets along with everybody, including your guy, Malcolm Brogdon. Yeah, and I think too with that, that was a trade where they're saying Jalen Brown versus Bonus. But Jalen Brown's like Ingram, they're playing so well now, they're not tradable. Like mm. Jalen Brown's elevated himself to where you're not trading him for anyone, really. Not especially not for a big man. Right, right. Can I propose another big man to the Celtics trade? Of course. How about Andre Drummond for Gordon Hayward? That would be a risky move. It doesn't look great on paper, but I can see that working out in a weird way where you get a rebounding center, a, a rim running guy to pair with all the wings and Kemba Walker? To me, though, I, I just don't want to pay a center $30 million unless they're like a top five center. Because you can like, Boston's getting good minutes from Daniel Thies, Time Lord, Grant Williams. Like it's just too much money for a center unless he's like, you better be like Embiid, Jokic, Gobert if I'm going to pay you $30 million at center. I guess the calculation there is Gordon Hayward is also making $30 million for the next two years. And you have Tatum and Brown on your team. You know, like how much do you actually need Hayward when you actually really need a big man? But I think with Hayward, what they've done this year is smart, where he's like become the distributor for that team. So yeah. he's the distributor, and then Brown to them are the scorers. So that I think has actually worked better than I thought we all thought it would coming into the season. Yeah. I mean, it really becomes an interesting discussion about like where you distribute, like positionally, where you distribute your money. I think Drummond is interesting. Uh, he's obviously having a huge rebounding season. He flirted with a 20 rebound average for a little bit while Blake Griffin was off the court. I do think the Celtics are the type of team that I would want to see him on, not only to bring all UConn players back to New England. <laughs> nice. I didn't even remember I forgot that. about that. Yes. But also, they seem like the type of organization where they could really just like bring out the best in him. So 
I think it makes sense from that regard. But like you said, Sharks, I do think Hayward has been pretty good when he has been healthy uh, this season specifically. Do you want to hear the saddest drum rumor I saw on the internet the other day? Please. I was like, this is real. It was like the Charlotte Hornets really want Andre Drummond. I was like, oh my gosh. Oh no. That's just depressing all the way around for everyone. Yeah. I mean, like Drummond has a player option this summer. And I think just given the dearth of of money available, given all the extensions that have been signed, I, I think somebody's going to max him. So if you are going to trade for him, you presume that you're going to have to max him in addition to that. Uh, I think it is cruel, though, Isaac, to send all of the sad, injured stretch fours <laughs> to Detroit. They have already enough issues in their life. I can't imagine Blake Griffin playing with Gordon Hayward. Yeah, that, that would... <laughs> yeah, I didn't really think about it this on the Detroit side. I just thought, you know, we got to get a big man on that Celtics roster. I think roster. they would do that. They would move Drummond for Hayward, I Well, think. just because it's not working, right? Like, nothing's really yeah. working. So They need to do something. Like, change something. Yeah, Charks, your contention is Griffin should be the ball-handling five on, on Detroit, right? Yeah, I mean, maybe in Portland. He needs to get, they need to do something. This team is not working for sure. Yeah, I, I do think it would be interesting to see Drummond moved. I just want to see him in a change of scenery. It just... He's been in that organization for so long and he's kind of been doing what he's like, what everyone expects him to do. It's just also simultaneously like what he does is just not as valuable as it used to considering the context of the league. Uh, All right. This Detroit talk is a good transition to our last one that we'll do here. This is from Thea Goldwaldhelm. I probably butchered that. Uh, They ask, who are your favorite players on the least watchable teams I'm going to actually start with Detroit. I think just considering where they are, just built to win now and yet just languishing behind the Wizards even. They're currently 6-11. and 11. They are in 10th place in the Eastern Conference at the time of recording this. I still have hope that Blake Griffin in the right situation uh, would be great. I think he's a modern player and like perhaps this is just like my Lob City showing just considering I watch a lot of those games up close. But... I want to see guys like Blake playing in primetime, not getting the NBA TV series when they do just squeak into the playoffs. So I still like watching him and I still have hope that we can free him this season. Sharks, what's your pick? Okay, I'm going to give a shout out to my guy, Jonathan Isaac. Orlando's been brutal to watch this year. Really, I was high on him this year, but it was Jonathan Isaac. He's been, though, he's been great. So he's, he's in year three. He's averaging three blocks a game while playing on the perimeter. And he's shooting a career high 38% from three. He's averaging in double figures and points. I think he had a chance to be a really, really special player. He's an incredible defensive player already. I think he's growing a lot every game. To me, he's in one of like the real hidden stories this year on a really on a team that's underperformed. I think Isaac is like really kind of coming on this season. This actually gets back to a question I was going to ask during the segment about 25 and under guys. If you were to redraft the 2017 draft, or at least like which guy you would start a team with, would you pick Tatum, Fox, Mitchell, or Isaac? I mean, I should pick Tatum, but that's no fun. I'd pick Isaac. Okay. That's, that's my guy. <laughs> that's great. Uh, also, let's get let's get OG in there too. Talk about big three and D wings. OG is killing it this year. Right. Good thing. We had a Christian Wood reference earlier. Good thing we got a uh, an OG and an Obi-Wan <laughs> in here right before the buzzer. All right. From one Isaac to another, Isaac Lee. Yeah. Uh, who's, nice. your, who's your pick? I'm going to go with Bogdan Bogdanovich on the Kings. Oh, he's Listen great. Listen to that pronunciation. Uh, it's not even that good. Can but you say it again? Bogdan Bogdanovich. Yeah. 
But I mean, that's, that's just how that's you say pro, it. Right? That's a pro, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's, I mean, I, I've heard some Eastern Europeans online say that it's kind of like John Johnson <laughs> over in Serbia. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, because it's apparently a really common name. But uh, Bogey, he has struggled a little bit recently uh, due to injury, but he's, man, the cojones on this guy. Oh my goodness. He is so fun to watch. He really has that irrational confidence and it's working. Like he's shooting, I believe, 39% from three this year. And he's distributing more. He's averaging almost five assists on a, a Sacramento Kings team that's really been disappointing. He's been a bright spot for sure, despite his recent struggles, as I just Isaac, mentioned. My yeah. only caveat is this: nothing irrational about his confidence. He's amazing. He's it's rational. <laughs> he is amazing. He really is amazing. Uh, last year, when the Kings were actually fun to watch, I remember thinking, like, man, De'Aaron Fox is good. Buddy Hield is good. Marvin Bagley, great for a rookie. But it's Bogey that's really the heart of the team. And I, I love... That's you know, what I'm saying. I love guys Absolutely. like that. Yeah, it's been a bummer to see Fox go down. But I have like this kind of mini resurgence we have from Bogdan. Uh, it just seems like he's the type of guy where you really can't have a Fox like competing for, for the ball. He really wants to just take all of the most important shots. Charks, you recently had a piece uh, on The Ringer talking about the Bucks specifically. And there's a little bit of rumblings of them having their eye on Bogey, right? Yeah, I think he makes he's the perfect guy to replace Brogdon because both those guys have like that rare ability where they can be elite shooters off the ball and be really good point guards on the ball. It's that versatility. And that's what he has that the other Kings don't have, right? De'Aaron Fox can't play off the ball. Buddy Heald, not a point guard. Bogdanovich does both. He can play either role really well. Yeah, and he's an interesting figure just like in the league at large because he's another guy, as we mentioned earlier with uh, Andre Drummond, who is up for free agency this summer. Uh, he will be a restricted free agent, I believe. Uh, he did not get an extension, unlike Buddy Heald, who got paid right before the season, but he was a guy that the Kings were reportedly in conversations with. So I think he's an interesting swing piece, especially if you look at the Kings' just immediate future, all of a sudden, a lot of these guys are starting to come up to get paid. And while they do have matching rights and a guy like Bogey, like, are they going to favor the long term? It seems like the sort of thing the Kings more than anyone would do, they would just let him walk and just like prioritize <sighs> Harry Giles. I don't even know. That'd be such a Kings move. Yeah, actually, they can't do Harry Giles because I think they just renounced his uh, his rights coming up. But yeah, it, the problem is like they paid De- they kind of paid De'Aaron at the one, they paid Buddy at the two, they paid Barnes at the three. They're gonna play Bagley at the four. Like, there's no one to put Bogdanovich long term. They kind of box themselves out. Yes, you are. He is resigned to being your sixth man energy guy off the bench, and it just I want to see Bogey unleashed. That that's my uh, my holiday wish for the NBA. All right, we're gonna wrap it up right there. Thank you for joining us on this pre-Thanksgiving edition, or you're probably listening to this on your way to your relatives right now. So uh, for Charks, for Isaac, for Chris, as he works on uh, his load management, we will see you again next week. Basketball is very good. Basketball is very good.